Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Hojen, and I am the young adult pastor here. So um, if you are a working professional and unmarried uh, or unmarried person, working professional, grad student, please let me know. And you can email me <clears throat> right there. And I promise to get back to you. And we can find a way to connect. And this morning, I have the privilege of sharing God's word. Uh, maybe some of you have seen a box like this uh, in your apartments or your workplaces or classrooms. It's in case of emergency break glass. Most often, uh, these boxes contain a fire extinguisher. Uh, sometimes they hold a, a fire hose. And these are clearly items that are meant to be used in dire circumstances only. But what if you saw something in there that should be used a little bit more regularly? Uh, it would be an odd sight, wouldn't it, to go to a restaurant and inside the, in case of emergency, break glass, you see dishwashing liquid. Or if you went to a hospital and inside this, in case of emergency box, you saw surgical equipment that doctors need. What if you went to a friend's place and they had one of these boxes and it had a toothbrush in there? You'd have a lot of questions, right? Uh, sometimes we treat prayer like it's stored in one of these boxes in case of emergency break glass we face a crisis and in a panic we look for this figurative red box we break the glass and we learn how to use it on the spot we get laid off from our job break glass and we try to pray we find out that a family member is sick Break glass. I'm really good at sound effects, by the way. Um, <clears throat> uh, break glass, and you, you start to pray. You need help making a life decision. You find this box, you break glass, and, and you pray. And uh, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with praying to God in emergency situations and crises, but, but prayer is meant so much more, uh, more than that. It's meant for so much more. Uh, prayer becomes powerful when we practice it and exercise it regularly, when we're connecting to God on, on a frequent basis. And rather than prayer being something that uh, we reach for in emergency situations, prayer is actually, it should be more like a, a chef's favorite knife. <clears throat> An experienced chef knows the exact weight of their favorite knife. They know the purpose for which it was designed because there's different types, types of knives um, the chef will know the safest way to, to use it, the most effective way, how to use it for small items, for, for big items. And most importantly, the chef keeps it close by and ready to be used. And over the past month and a half, we've looked at different people in Scripture and their prayers in, in, in the Bible. And um, we have been doing that, just like Stephanie shared and, and prayed um, this is a really important season for Cornerstone to invest into hearing from God, to learn how to discern what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to us. And we've looked at Nehemiah, Hannah, Moses, Stephen, and Daniel so far, and we really do hope the pastors are praying that you're seeing the connection of how deeply impactful uh, it is to be just so kind of tangled up with God in, in prayer that your awareness of what he's doing grows and that your ability to experience the fullest life possible is just growing and growing and growing. And if you are uh, newer to our church, we're being unapologetic about it. And some of you 
may have even emailed me like, oh, do you have small groups? And we're unapologetically saying, no, we're doing abide on Thursdays because we are willingly acknowledging the, from the most, from, yeah, from the pastors down to everybody that we need to listen to God. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And after the past year and a half of just turmoil and dis- disruption, we really believe that Cornerstone <clears throat> needs to look different than what Cornerstone looked like pre-pandemic. Today, uh, we want to look at one last, this is the last week of the series, one last obvious person who prayed in scripture, and that's Jesus Christ, right? It would be a major fail if we didn't uh, talk about Jesus. So we're going to look specifically at the prayer he lifted in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have your Bibles, maybe on your phone, you can open up to Matthew chapter 26. And this morning, I want to read from uh, a very new translation of the Bible. It's called the First Nations Version, which is written in the traditions of the indigenous people of the United States. It's written in their storytelling culture, and this past Monday was Indigenous Peoples Day. Next month is Indigenous Peoples Month. I mean, every month is like 20 different things, but next month is Indigenous Peoples Month. And in honor of the over 6 million First Nations people in the United States, uh, we want to recognize um, that we're gathering here at Kendall Square Cinema on the ancestral lands of the Pawtucket and Massachusetts uh, people. So please feel free to read along uh, with me, uh, Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. And um, this version is going to be very different. Uh, names of places and people are going to be more descriptive. So hopefully it gives you a new, richer understanding of what's going on. Matthew 26, verse 36. Creator sets free, that is Jesus, and his followers came to the place where olives where the olives are crushed, Gethsemane, a garden with many olive trees. Sit here, he told his followers, while I go over there and pray. He then took with him, stands on the rock, that is Peter, and he takes over, that is James, and he shows goodwill, that is John. And James and John, the two sons of the gift of creator, Zebedee, to a place not far from the others. As creator sets free, Jesus began to send his voice to the great spirit, He became deeply troubled and full of sorrow. My heart is full of sorrow to the point of death, he said to his three followers who were with him. Stay here and watch over me. He went a little ways from them, dropped his face to the ground and prayed, Oh, great father, he cried out, is there a way to take this cup of bitter suffering away from me? But I want only your way, not mine. He then got up and found his followers sleeping. Could you not stay awake with me for even one hour, he said, he said to stands on the rock, Peter. Stay awake and pray so that you will be able to face the rough trail ahead of you. Your human body is weak, but your spirit is strong. Once again, he went from them and prayed, My father, if this is the only way, then, as you desire, I will drink deeply of this bitter cup. The night was silent and cold as Creator sets free, trembled and prayed. The powers of darkness were pressing in hard. After a while, he returned to his three followers who were supposed to be praying. He found them and saw that their eyes were heavy with sleep. So he went away from them a third time and prayed the same words. He then returned to his followers and said to them, Why are you still sleeping? The time is upon us. 
the true, true human being, the Son of Man, has been betrayed into the hands of the ones, who have, the ones with bad hearts. Rise up, we must go. Look, the one who has turned against me, Judas, is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Matthew chapter 26, thank you, you read my mind. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in his last moments with his disciples, and he withdraws to this place called Gethsemane, literally where olives are crushed. And we see that Jesus himself feels that he's being crushed. Jesus feels so grieved that he feels like he's dying inside. He's overwhelmed and stressed and anxious. Some Bible commentators will use the words depressed. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus experiences so much anguish that his sweat falls like drops of blood. Jesus is tremendously distraught that he seeks the company of his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he asks them to pray with him, to watch over him. Here, Jesus is thoroughly human. It doesn't sound like what you would expect Jesus to feel and experience if he's the Son of God, if if he's the Savior of the world. It, It almost sounds like if Matthew were writing about me, I would be stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, so grieved that it feels like I'm dying. He is so human in this passage that it should actually shock us, it should disturb us. Because how can the very Son of God feel and say these things? And a lot of times we take it for granted that Jesus is fully God, fully man, but here Jesus is fully human. It's a truth that should rock us to the core. He somehow experienced what all of us have either experienced in the past or are experiencing right now. In Matthew 26, Jesus shows us that we are able to pray in, quote-unquote, in the night. We're able to pray in the night like him. And when I use the phrase in the night, I'm talking about all of the emotions and experiences that Jesus is having in Gethsemane. So this morning, we want to see three ways that we can pray in the night. Maybe some of you are going through your own Gethsemane moment, Gethsemane situations where you feel like you're being crushed. Jesus shows us how we can pray. The first way that we can pray in the night is we can ask God, we can ask God for what we want. In Matthew 26, Jesus' prayer prayer consists of three distinct moments. Uh, In verse 39, verse 42, and verse 44. And because of Jesus' deep connection, excuse me, with the Heavenly Father, Jesus knew that he would suffer physically and spiritually. He knew that he was going to be separated from God in judgment as he took on the sin of all of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that Jesus became sin. I don't, you know, it's so hard to even wrap your mind around that, that Jesus became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. In order to rescue humanity, From the curse of sin, Jesus knew that it would cost him his own physical life, his own spiritual communion, relationship with God, the Father. And in verse 39, Jesus prays so honestly here. And in in our translation, it's a question. Is there a way to take this cup of bitter suffering away from me? 
Jesus is asking God if it's possible to avoid the suffering and judgment that is ahead of him. Isn't that weird to think about? That Jesus asked God to somehow bypass the cross. One Bible commentator says that Jesus shows us here that there is a way to dissent to God in prayer that is blameless. Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. And somehow he was able to ask this and not sin against God. That shows us that there's a way for us to honestly ask God for what we want and what we prefer, especially when we're experiencing these emotions of sorrow, grief, stress, and anxiety. Here, Jesus shows us the great freedom and safety, the security that we have uh, with God, because then we can just express what is on our hearts, what is on our minds, what's happening even in our bodies. Because when we express honestly what we want to God, God is often doing the work of transforming us. The more we pray, the more familiar with God we, uh, we get, and the more familiar with God we get, the more we see our wants clearly against who God is and what he's, what he's doing in us, around us, and through us. Jesus is honest and vulnerable here, and this is, this is a prayer that is actually not granted by God. This is the greatest unanswered prayer in all of history. God doesn't give an answer to his own son here. And I know that all of us have at least one unanswered prayer in, in our lives, if not many. I have some prayers that I've been lifting up for decades that are still not answered. And, and just sharing personally, in unanswered prayer, I struggle with a lot of lies. There are so many lies that Satan wants me to believe. Some of them are that God doesn't hear me, that God doesn't care about what I want, and the danger of those lies is that they start to affect how I view myself, my identity. When I start to believe that God doesn't hear my prayers, that he doesn't, want, he doesn't hear, that he doesn't want to listen to what I want, I start to knowingly or unknowingly preach to myself that I don't have inherent worth to be listened to. I start to preach to myself that I'm somehow not lovable enough that God's Goodness and, and grace has somehow bypassed me because of something I've done or, or because of who I am. That's what I start to believe when I give in to these lies. And when I believe into those lies, it makes me not want to go to God in prayer. It makes me not want to trust Him. And here, Jesus, when He shares openly and honestly, He's showing us that there is a more biblical way to see unanswered prayer. Pastor and author J.D. Greer, he writes this, of all the things I might wonder with regard to an unanswered prayer, I never have to wonder what it means about how God feels about me, especially in light of Gethsemane. And this is what he says, I can be confident that if Jesus did not abandon me in his darkest hour, when the judgment of his father was literally squeezing, crushing the life out of him, he has not turned his back on me in my dark hours, even when I feel like he's not listening. Because Christ, all he is and everything that he has done and, and is doing right now, God loves you and me with an everlasting love. God will never, ever forsake you or me, and God will always work for our good. Through prayer, these are truths that can overcome the lies. They can wash over us. These are truths that can help us see ourselves and even others in the most 
true and eternal sense. And Jesus shows us how important it is to go to God in honesty and earnestness, to not go to him with any filters. When we do that, we're going to discover God's trustworthiness over time. And I don't know if, when, or how God will answer your prayers, but scripture tells us that he hears every single one of them. He is always at work, and he will always be worthy of our trust. That's what Gethsemane shows us. And because Jesus has this trust, he's able to pray the second half of his prayer, which is another way we can, we can pray in the night. It's, I only want your way, not mine. In, when, when we are facing Gethsemane moments, we can ask God for what he wants. First, we can ask God for what we want, but now we get to ask God for what he wants. In this passage, Jesus prays for God's will to be done. Jesus actually taught this to his disciples um, to pray this phrase, your will be done in Matthew chapter 6. And we know, many of us know that as the Lord's prayer that we might have recited when we were younger. Uh, It should actually encourage us that Jesus, he commands us to do something that he actually does. When we see Jesus pray this, I I want only your way, not mine, The point is not for us to just tack on those words to our prayers as if those words are some sort of mystical, divine incantation to make our prayers more acceptable to God, that he'll he'll be more prone to answer them. The point is to become the type of disciple of Jesus who trusts God so much that we profoundly believe it and mean it when, when we say, I want only your way, not mine. When Jesus prays, your will be done in anguish, it reminds us that, that we need to open ourselves up to God's ways that are better and, and wiser than our ways. And where we are different than Jesus is that we often get hung up on maybe one particular unanswered prayer in our lives. We get so hung up on that one unanswered prayer, whatever that might be, that we are unable to take notice of the hundreds of prayers that God has and is answering in the moment. When we pray, not my will, but yours be done, and actually mean it, we start to encounter the power of God firsthand. We start to notice that God is at work all around us. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, your will be done, um, if you are unwilling to let go of what you prefer, what your dreams are but it can be an absolutely liberating, life-giving prayer to surrender your will to the God who knows you better than you know yourself, the God who loves you more than you can ever imagine, and the God who knows what you need more than you could ever estimate on your own. Uh, In his book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer, which is an excellent book because it has a lot of pictures, Uh, if you struggle with really engaging in prayer, it's, it's a great book, and it has maybe 50 different reflections with visual components. Uh, Sky Jathani, um, he provides an illustration to help us imagine what it looks like to yield to God's will. When we see prayer against God's sovereignty and, and ask, what's the point? We are giving in to prayer that is pointless. When we pray thinking that our prayers will change God's will, then we start to believe that we can control God through our prayer. 
But like Jesus in Gethsemane, when we start to say, your will be done and not mine, you, you start to see that our prayers, our will, start to get tangled up, wrapped up in, in God's will. We start to experience prayer as communion. I think this is where a lot of us struggle with prayer. When we yield to God's will, we're going to experience greater communion with God. We're going to start to see God move in ways that we can never imagine. When we open ourselves up to him, the God I know from my own life, the God I know from scripture, he loves to work through people who make themselves available to him. You might have some people in your life that you look up to as spiritual role models, spiritual parents, they likely are doing this type of prayer. They know firsthand what it means to not only pray, not my will, but yours be done, but actually live it out. We have the gift of hindsight in Matthew 26. Right? We, we know Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, we know the rest of the story after Gethsemane. And Jesus, obviously, he had to go to the cross because his father sent them for a very divine, cosmic purpose of reconciling God's beloved uh, image bearers back to himself. And we need to stop and realize that hindsight doesn't take away from how difficult it was for Jesus in Gethsemane. He really felt sorrow. He really felt anguish and, and, and feeling like he was uh, overwhelmed and crushed. And that goes the same for us. When we are experiencing the same type of emotions and, and, and feelings and circumstances, it doesn't take away that those things um, aren't real in your life. But God is capable of doing far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because if we are his children, we can believe in promises in Scripture like Romans 8.28, which many of you might have memorized earlier in your life. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, I don't have time to fully share um, the story of how I became a pastor. Um, I'm more than willing to share it with you one-on-one, but uh, long story short, uh, becoming a pastor was not plan A. If anything, it was like plan M, <laughs> plan, plan M, I, I don't know. And, you know, like there were prayers to God that I, that I lifted uh, that were answered with definite no with silence, and some of those moments really felt like rock bottom to the point that I thought I had really ruined my life. Um, through some really unforgettable moments, uh, I've learned to, to see that God loves me too much to say yes to all my prayers, and that God loves me so much that he wants me to follow along with me. He wants to help me want what he wants. For me to learn how to pray, not your will, uh, not my will, (laughs) don't do that, not my will, but yours be done. And by being a pastor, you know, it's, you know, Pastor Bill is the veteran, right? But uh, I've been a pastor for 11 years or so. I have been so lucky, so privileged, so blessed to witness God accomplish things and change people in ways that I, I don't think I would have experienced if if God didn't say no to some of my prayers. Uh, Author Philip Yancey, he writes this, when Jesus prayed to the one that could save him from death, he did not get that salvation. He got instead the salvation of the world. When we pray to God, 
um, and ask for his will in our lives, we may not get the desired answers that we want, but we will see God do a greater work than we could ever imagine. Even an unanswered prayer, asking for what God, God wants, can lead to experiencing God's power and being an agent of his transformation for others. Uh, in verse 40, we see that Jesus, um, he prays three times. It's the, the entire uh, scene at Gethsemane. Um, but he must have prayed more than that because in verse 40, we see that Jesus prayed for at least one hour. It wasn't just these three sentences that he, he lifted up. He undoubtedly expressed much more than what is recorded in Scripture. And this is the third way. Uh, this shows us the third way that we can pray in the night. And it's we can ask, we can keep asking God. It should, it should touch us. It should move us that Jesus lifted up the same prayers over and over and over again. If, if someone who had deep connection to God, who had unbroken fellowship with him, kept repeating his prayers, then it should definitely mean that us as imperfect people, we need to keep lifting up the same prayers to God. And in Matthew 26, most Bible scholars see that the theme of Gethsemane is temptation. Jesus was faced with the real temptation to bypass the cross. It might be weird to consider, but it was a real option for Jesus to not suffer. He could have chosen to not endure the physical suffering, the spiritual separation, the spiritual disconnection from his father. But here we see that prayer was how Jesus faced this temptation. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Danny shared a quote from uh, one of our seminary professors, and I want to share another quote from him, Haddon Robinson. He writes this, Where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's hall, where he was tried, nor on his way to Gol Golgotha, where he was crucified. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Had I been there and witnessed that struggle, I would have been so, I would have been worried about the future. And this is what he imagines himself talk, saying to himself. If he is so broken up when all he's doing is praying, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the same calm confidence of his three sleeping friends? Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage and his three friends fell apart and fell away. The Jesus that we see going through the unjust trials, the public humiliation, and the wrongful execution uh, through capital punishment is calm, cool, and collected and looks nothing like the Jesus we see in Matthew 26 in Gethsemane. What changed? In Luke's version of Jesus' prayer, we are told that Jesus was strengthened as he prayed as he lifted the same prayers over and over and over again. And just as Jesus faced temptation, the disciples there, Peter, James, and John, faced temptation too. He tells them to pray so that they will, not be, able, they will be able to face the rough trail ahead of them. In other translations, it says that you might, you might not fall, enter into temptation. For the disciples, it was also the temptation to avoid the cross. It was to deny knowing who Jesus was. It was to abandon him during his trials and, and execution. It was to hide and fear for their lives. And it's, there's no mistake, gospel writers highlight Jesus' three prayers with Jesus' three 
check-ins with his disciples, and then later, Peter denies Jesus three times. Here, it's highlighting the power of prayer in facing temptations. This prayer of lifting up the same request over and over and over again. And today, we face the same temptation to avoid the cross. It just looks different. Uh, I will only speak for myself, but I hope many of you can relate. My temptation is overactivity to the point I have little or no margin to keep watch for myself and for others in my life through prayer. My temptation is to numb myself with distractions because I don't want to deal with the Gethsemane emotions, experiences, situations that I have in my life. My temptation is to allow apathy and jadedness to linger too long in my mind and heart that it starts to undercut my trust in God. I think that's what it means to avoid the cross today. In Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, we are given the method for fighting these temptations. It's through prayer. It's through repeated prayer. It's to constantly go to him to keep asking God for the same thing over and over and over. Um, I have one last quote that I want to share. It's from a Bible scholar, Frederick Dale Bruner. He says it just more explicitly. Praying is the center, the open secret of Christian discipleship. Jesus knows that we are never strong enough if we do not pray. Strength is not the fruit of willpower or even devotion or praxis. Strength is the fruit of prayer. Do you want to be spiritually strong? You can't do it without prayer. You want to be able to endure the temptations that you experience, that you face on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? You, you have to pray. You have to pray the same prayers over and over and over in trust. Matthew 26 is a testimony of Jesus being strengthened, and it is also an invitation for all of us to be strengthened in this life through prayer, repeated prayer, when we keep asking God to receive strength for him, from him. In six weeks of looking at different people in Scripture, um, we cannot live as if prayer was in the just-in-case of emergency break glass box. Prayer should be something we engage in regularly because it's, some, it's, it's how we will receive all that we need. So just two really quick applications to, to take action from Matthew 26. First is to come out to abide, if at all possible, if you are free Thursday night. If you can't physically come um, for whatever reason, join us virtually. You can still use that link uh, because... It's crucial that you don't do prayer alone because even Jesus didn't do prayer alone. He invited Peter, James, and John. And it's here where, as a church family, we're doing this together. And secondly, if you believe that God has called you to be part of this spiritual family, please find a, a way, a very concrete way, to, to pray for another person and their, their prayer life, preferably someone you don't know. And we've been saying this over and over um, more than half of the people who are showing up on Sundays are new. So it sounds weird. The people who've been here the longest feel like a minority. So we just need to assume we have to meet a lot of people. We need to get to know a lot of stories. And we need to get to the work of really caring for each other tangibly. And it's by praying for one another. So if you can, try to, maybe someone you, you even like greeted today, just ask, hey, can I, can I get one prayer request 
uh, for you this week and can't get your number, I'll text you or an e email address. Can I encourage you in that way? And if you're willing, try to pray for a different person each week. By praying, uh, by, by praying and asking for what we want and asking for what God wants and, and, and asking over and over and over again the same prayer request, we're going to start to experience life-giving prayer. We become the most authentic versions of ourselves, being able to express ourselves honestly and vulnerably to God. We become children who live in God's will, experiencing more of his power in our lives, and we become disciples who are able to withstand temptations because we know what it's like to be strengthened by prayer. I think that's an amazing picture of prayer that we need to recapture today. So this morning, even if you are in your own Gethsemane situation, if you feel like you're in the darkness of the night, I hope in seeing Jesus in Matthew 26, you know that you can and that you must call out to God and ask for him, ask for his will, his power, his assistance, his strength in prayer. Let's pray before we participate in uh, communion. Gracious God, we thank you that in sending your son, you gave us an example for us to follow. Everything that Jesus did is not some sort of unreachable experience. If anything, sometimes, God, we make Jesus out to be too much of a, a, a superhero when we look, when we really take notice of how human he was. Of course, he was your son. He was fully God. But his human experiences don't differ much from ours. He experienced sorrow and grief, confusion and stress. And to see that he went to you in prayer, being able to ask for what he wants, to, to ask what you want for his life, and also to see him repeat his prayers to you over and over and over. We pray that it would encourage us to do the same. So this morning, especially as we come to the table, would you lead us to reach out to you, to not overcomplicate prayer, to just see it as having conversation with you and getting to know you more and also learning to know ourselves better in light of who you are, God. So be with my sisters and brothers here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.